This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast, a victorious Hoist the Colors podcast as we are recapping East Carolina's 3-1 week on the diamond. Not a perfect week for the Pirates, but 3-1 and one you will take every time in college baseball. I am Stephen Iger, the host of the podcast, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. I'm joined by Jonathan Wagner, contributor, intern, senior at ECU. He is enjoying his final semester uh, as a Pirate and enjoying the baseball season, and he's back on the podcast. So, Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Glad we can talk about a series win two weekends in a row yeah yeah you can't complain with a series win especially a road series win if you're east carolina and we'll talk a little bit about how georgia southern is quietly a really good team i feel like uh i think that they're going to do some damage in the Sun Belt, which of course also is home to coastal carolina south alabama and louisiana lafayette but i was really impressed by this georgia southern team and some of the pieces they had but uh, more importantly, Jonathan, a 6-1 and one start for ECU. We're going to dive into each game this week. Really, we'll focus on the the weekend games because those are fresh in our mind. We'll, we'll touch briefly on Duke here in a little bit. But 3-1, and one, I think most people going into this week knew it was going to be a tough week, and I think everybody would have taken 3-1. and one. You win the road series, you take a big mid- midweek game over Duke. Uh, I don't think you could ask for much more if you're Cliff Goblin in East Carolina. Yeah, I agree completely. I think three and one is a very good record coming out of this this four game stretch, especially against such a tough tough team in Duke. And like you said, kind of a sneaky opponent in Georgia Southern. I mean, Duke obviously ranked as high as I believe thirteen coming into the game, maybe twelve. And yeah, I mean Georgia Southern, like you said, they have a lot of pieces that might not get as much attention, but they're really good players. I mean, McCorder, left field, he killed us all weekend. But, yeah, really quality wins. So you can't be upset with one loss. I think a lot of people would have maybe expected it to come against Duke. But, like we said, really tough opponent, really gritty weekend. And 3-1 and one is something I think I'm completely happy with and I think any of us will take at this point. Absolutely, six and one to begin the year for East Carolina. Let's start first with the Duke game, Jonathan. A six to one victory over Duke on Tuesday night. It was a shame that the the fans could not be there because it would have been a great atmosphere. I'm still not 100 percent sold sold on Duke being a top 15 team, but still a quality win. I mean, what they've done under Chris Pollard is legit. They are a, a definite NCAA tournament caliber team. Uh, probably a two or three seed, maybe even borderline host, some believe. So we'll see how that plays out. But a quality win early in the season. ECU wins six to one. Thomas Francisco in that game went three for four with three RBIs. He had the big home run, uh, which stretched it from three to one to six to one. But really, the story of this game, Jonathan, was the bullpen, and uh, specifically CJ Mayhew, four and a third innings, one hit, six strikeouts. Uh, that was. The best we've seen him, according to Cliff Galvin, it's hard to disagree with that. 
Yeah, I think it was a really tough situation for both Cam Colmore and CJ Mayhew. Spivey going one and two thirds before I believe the blister on his hand forced him to be removed early on. Obviously a lot earlier than anyone would have expected. But Colmore came in, gave you three good innings, and then Mayhew came in four and a third, one hit, no runs, one walk, six strikeouts, and he looked like vintage CJ Mayhew, exactly what we saw all last year. And I think exactly what we all expected coming back into this year. He was, I mean, the only word to say is dominant. He completely dominated the Duke lineup. He was in no trouble at all. He made it look easy. And it was really nice to see. And he, again, like I said, nobody expected to need the bullpen that much. But to be able to have two guys come in and throw seven and a third and get the win and the save for you, that's huge, especially going into a weekend like this. Yeah, I was I was disappointed for Carter Spivey, uh, the blister, because I thought really he was throwing the ball with some authority early in that baseball game. He was up to you know ninety one consistently, touch ninety two, uh, very good breaking ball. So I I really hope that they can get the blister issue fixed pretty pretty quickly, or at least it's something that doesn't linger. I mean, you know when you're throwing a baseball and you're putting that much friction on the ball, it can kind of be something that lingers and can can be annoying. But uh, hopefully they can get that 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 flare down and um, get it to go away. But I'm glad you mentioned Colmore because his ability to come in and just really get out of that jam and then pitch well and kind of settle everybody down, I thought was one of the keys of the game for sure. Uh, so Cam Colmore, CJ Mayhew, they combined to go seven and a third innings and uh, only one run allowed. So uh, just a tremendous, tremendous performance by the bullpen and arguably ECU's top two bullpen arms in that game again ECU wins six to one uh they get 10 hits uh Francisco with three of those Norby with two Josh Moylan uh two for three with his first career home run which I think is is still going uh actually we do know it landed on the football field but uh 425 feet the longest home run at home this year for ECU in the early season uh so a, a great start for the Pirates in the midweek all right let's dive into this weekend series Jonathan and uh, I think we, when we all watched Friday's game unfold, we knew it was going to be a battle. Um, Georgia Southern, man, they their starting pitcher on Friday, I, I don't want to mess up his name, let's see here, Jordan Jackson, he came right at ECU. It was, clearly, it was clear they weren't intimidated. I mean, they had just played Tennessee, which is a top 25 team. They, they were swept, but they probably felt like they should have won two out of three. Uh, and I thought that they really challenged ECU on Friday night. Um, I don't even know where to begin with this game, Jonathan. This was like this was one of the more like terrible, but yet at the same time best games I've ever watched. Um, I you know I called it the most unconventional win or one of the most unconventional wins I've seen from Matt Bridges getting the hit, which I think was the best moment of the night, uh, just to using eight different pitchers, three of which. Or two didn't record an out, and then three more didn't go a full inning. It was just a, uh, it was a chaotic night, but it added up to a a six to four ECU win. I guess we'll try to break down segments of the game, but just your initial thoughts on Friday night's crazy win. Yeah, I think crazy is a pretty good word. Um, you know, Matt Bridges coming in, he had a really good outing on the mound, through two and a third, and then that big RBI single and I don't remember what inning it was but I mean I mean when he came up I was thinking 
I wouldn't even put him back on the mound the next inning. And then I saw him come up to bat, and I was like, what the heck is going on? This this is one of those ECU games where just every weird possible thing that could happen is going to happen. And there you go. He proves me wrong. RBI single up the middle. And then he comes back out, gets another out on the mound. And that was a long game. It was a gritty game. And that's that's all there is to say. I mean, it was weird, long, very long. But I'm very glad that we were able to come out with a win. And, wow, who knew this weekend would get off to a start like that? Three hours and 58 minutes, the time of that game. Um, you know, the best thing about the Matt Bridges at bat was the fact that he didn't go up there and just look at the ball. He he went hacking. He he hacked away at the first, I think, three pitches, fouled him off, took a ball, and then got the single up the middle. And the, the reaction of the ECU dugout said it all, man. I think every single player came out of the dugout and was jumping and losing their minds. Um, and that was a huge insurance run. Like This just wasn't some throwaway at bat. It was a 5-4 game in the top of the eighth with two outs. Uh, and a runner on second, and he hung in there and got, got a big RBI single against one of their better relievers. So, um, you know, that's kind of the uh, the deal with ECU's crazy two-way U deal. They lose the DH in the late innings in a lot of these games, so you're going to have some instances where if Godwin wants to stick with a, a certain pitcher, he's going to let him hit, and Bridges actually hit last year at Charlotte. And to no surprise, Jonathan, I look back at that box score, he flew out uh, on the first pitch. So he's not he, – I don't think he's taken but one pitch in his batting career, so he's not afraid to swing it. That's crazy. I mean, like you said, he came out first pitch, and he, when he took a, took a hack at it, I was kind of really surprised. And I said, wow, okay, this is going to be one of those at-bats. And it was a really good at-bat. You know, a few pitches, he swung at all of them, and he was taking some real swings too. They weren't just trying to put the bat on it and – you know, hope for the best. He was swinging. He looked like he knew what he was doing up there. Like you said, he got to do it against Charlotte last year. So it was a really cool moment to see. And then, you know, we went on to get the win on the mound too. So really cool night. Yeah, ECU goes uh, eight pitchers deep on Friday night. Tyler Smith, uh, four innings, three runs allowed. You know, you look at his, his strikeout to walk ratio, five strikeouts, no walks, but he did hit three batters. ECU hit five batters on the night. I don't know if Georgia Southern was like crowding the plate, but it was just one of those games where it seemed like uh, the pitchers really struggled to throw strikes. Uh, A.J. Wilson threw two-thirds of an inning. Garrett Saylor came in. You know, he didn't have his command. He only throws five pitches, then he's pulled. Ryder Giles uh, only pitches a third of an inning. He actually got out of a big jam, though, with the strikeout. Tristan Kimmel came in. He didn't record an out. Uh, and then, of course, Matt Bridges was the first reliever that really settled things down, going two and a third. Uh, I thought Danny Bill stepped up in a pretty big situation on that in that Friday night game, um, I believe getting out of a jam or in, coming in in a close game and really pitching well. And then Cam Colmore shuts it down with, of course, Jonathan, a stressful night then and thanks to two walks. You know, they can't ever make it easy on uh, on Pirate fans and the coaching staff. Oh, no, easy wins don't exist when you're from Greenville, North Carolina. So, you know, two walks made it a little interesting late, but Colmore was able to strike out the side outside of those two walks, and it would be the start of a good weekend for – or a long weekend for the bullpen, I'll say. 
a lot of usage. So it was really nice to at least see a lot of arms go. Like you said, you know, Sailor didn't really have his best stuff. Camel only didn't record now. But then Bridges, Beal looked good. So a lot of work for the bullpen early on. I don't think that's exactly what they were looking for coming into Friday night. But they got it done and they came away with a win. So we'll take it. ECU gets 11 hits on offense. Lane Hoover, three for five, which we'll touch on what happened to Lane in Saturday's game here in a little bit. Uh, Josh Moylan continues his hot hitting two for three with an RBI and a run scored. He had a nice double in that game. Uh, Ryder Giles, one for two with two runs scored. Alec Mekarevich, uh, one for three with a run scored. So a, a pretty solid night offensively outside the fact Bryson Worrell, Thomas Francisco, and Seth Cadell combined to go one for 14 in that game. So you still put up six runs on 11 hits with arguably three of your best hitters uh, not producing in that game. All right, let's jump ahead to Saturday. Jonathan, this would be ECU's first loss of the 2021 season. And, man, it's always uh, it's always heartbreaking to know the Pirates will not go 56-0. and uh, As uh, some Pirate fans lose their mind at, at every single loss. But I will, hey, I will tell you, Pirate Nation listening to this podcast, I am proud that uh, that they didn't overreact. I, don't, I feel like nobody overreacted to this loss, and I, I was proud of that because I feel like ECU fans have a history, especially the casual baseball fans who are just losing their minds when ECU loses to some team that maybe the fans perceive as not, you know, NC State or UNC. But I thought this was just a, a game that wasn't ECU's day. It was, a, again, a weird game, uh, but just a tough day for the Pirates. Yeah, I mean, you look at that type of game with, I mean, they really lost the game in the fifth inning. But, I mean, I think, like you said, some some fans would look at that and just kind of freak out, overreact, and say, oh, the season's over, they lost, you know. But, hey, like you said, I didn't really see a lot of that. And I think rightfully so, because it was a, another close game. It was competitive throughout. Even, I mean, you take away that fifth inning and, it's a 7-4 game. ECU's on top. So I think, you know, you're going to have those innings. You're going to have those games where you just don't have your best stuff. And that's okay, especially for a team like ECU with an interesting mix of returning talent and some newcomers that haven't played either at all or over the course of a full season. You 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 expect some of those games. So I'm, I'm okay with it. It losses are going to happen it's not going to be the last time we lose it's not going to be the last time we just don't have it this year so i think it's good that we didn't overreact and it was a it was a competitive game though so it was it was a fun one to watch for the most part yeah that outside of the fifth inning uh and the the, <laughs> the hoover incident which we'll touch on but i'm gonna let's go through this fifth inning real quick jonathan all right so you know coach Manor's you know, he'd given up a couple runs, but I, I felt like he was in control of the game. And um, so ECU gets the first two outs of this inning. Two on, nobody out. ECU is up five to three. Nobody is on base, and there are two outs. Here's the here's the sequence from that point forward. Single to left, hit by pitch. Pitching change. All right, ECU brings in C.J. Mayhew who we talked about, just dominated Duke. So everybody was like, all right, well, you know, he's going to shut it down, um, you know, do all that. Uh, Mayhew gives up a, a single, RBI single at the middle. 
That makes it 5-4. Everybody's like, okay, you know, give up one single, but we got it from here. Um, Swan, I believe this was that bloop double uh, that fell in for an RBI double that tied the game. And then uh, Thompson comes up, homers out of nowhere, down the left field line for a three-run shot. That made it 8-5 to five Georgia Southern. Then a walk, then a single, another pitch and change. Skyler Brooks comes in. He hits two consecutive batters, forcing in a run. Finally, Nick Logish comes on and uh, gets the final out on a strikeout swinging. And, but the damage was done at that point. Six runs, five hits, and just a terrible uh, inning for the Pirates. I think that's the best way to describe it. It was a terrible inning. You know, Cooch Manor came in. He got two relatively quick outs, too. You know, like you said, the ground out and the fly out. Didn't throw that many pitches. You know, you think, okay, we're almost out of this thing. Then a single, like you said, the hit by pitch, and then Mayhew came in, and everything just kind of went downhill. And it's surprising to see that with Mayhew. You know, maybe he wasn't fully ready since he did pitch so much against Duke. Who knows? But I'm not going to question Cliff Godwin. So, yeah. Let me, hold, it was let tough. Me, let me shut my dogs up. All right. I shut my dogs up. We're back going. Um, so, yeah, the thing with Mayhew was the thing I noticed watching it you know, he did look tired. I mean, I think the 49 pitches on Tuesday uh, played a role because he was up in the zone. I, I just thought he didn't have his stuff. And usually he's low in the zone. He's commanding both sides of the plate. He's throwing all his pitches for strikes or at least two of them. And I thought that, you know, he just didn't have it. Like you said, it, it happens a lot. Um, not a lot for C.J. Mayhew, but a lot in baseball in general where your best guy doesn't always have his best stuff. So I thought that, that it was just one of those days and one of those innings. Um, and so later in the game, we got to talk about the unfortunate situation with Lane Hoover. I believe this was the bottom of the eighth. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, so uh, Ledford hit a little Texas leaguer to right field, and uh, Norby and Lane Hoover, Lane Hoover in right field, Norby at second, were going for the ball, just one of those terrible in-between balls. You know, not sure if anybody was able to call the other off. Uh, they were both running full speed, and Norby trying to make a play, Hoover trying to make a play, and it just so happened that Norby uh, caught Hoover right in the face with his knee at full speed. Um, I was not watching it at the time, but I was listening to Corey Glor on the radio. You were watching, Jonathan. I mean, both instances, Corey described it, you know, a horrible scene as best as he could, and it sounded downright scary i'm sure even watching it just was uh even more frightening yeah i mean initially like you said it was one of those in between balls you know norby's running back hoover's running in and they both kind of dive for it i don't know if norby just kind of lost his footing a little bit but you know initially when you make that when you see that kind of contact in the outfoot between two fielders you know you kind of have that moment where you just pause and you wait to see if everybody gets up you know, Norby was a little slow to get up, but he got up. But then Hoover stayed down. And the the first thing I remember, I remember seeing the camera angle when Hoover first lifted his head up. And you could just you could just see the blood on his arm that was coming from, I believe, his nose. And it, it, it was gruesome. It was one it was probably one of the worst looking injuries that I've seen watching baseball in my life. And that's saying something. But it it was really unfortunate. You know, he had to be helped off the field and it was just a really ugly play, but it's one of those plays, you know, 
two guys run into the same plot, same place, and both are running hard for the ball. It's hard to get out of the way, and it's nobody's fault. So it's just really unfortunate to see it in that way, and just got to hope that Lane is not injured too badly and that he can recover quickly. Yeah, that's the thing. It, you know, I'm sure Norby probably feels terrible. Um, but again, it's not really his fault. It's not Lane's fault. I mean, it's just one of those freak plays where it was perfectly hit. So, and it happened so quickly, and they were both going full speed. It, it's hard to avoid it. It just so happened that the way it happened, his knee found Hoover's face. And again, you know, I don't want to speculate on injuries and all that stuff, but uh, we haven't gotten a formal response at this point. There's no Cliff Goblin media availability during road series. So, he usually talks to some media on Monday, so hopefully we have a, you know, a, a formal update at that point. You know, I know there's some family members saying stuff on Facebook and then some fans spreading that around, but I don't want to throw, hey, this is his diagnosis until we know. Um, so, you know, we, we pray and wish the uh, the absolute best for Hoover. You know, he's he kind of embodies what EC is all about, just a, a grinder. Uh, he was probably told, you know, he's too small to be great at baseball growing up, and he just kind of overcomes all that stuff with his style of play. So, and he was having a great weekend. I think he was like five for eight at the plate at that point. So, tough, tough circumstances for Lane. Again, we'll keep you updated when we know something um, going forward. All right. So, offensively in that game again, ECU falls ten to seven, but it was a pretty good game offensively in that uh, the Pirates. Again, double-digit hits, 12 hits, seven runs. They get a, a pair of home runs from freshman and um, Alec Makarevich and also Josh Moylan, who, uh, again, continued his stellar week with a two-for-four performance and four RBIs. Norby goes two-for-four with two runs scored. Makarevich had the pinch hit home run. I thought ECU was about to make a run late in the game, Jonathan. I, I do feel like the Hoover incident almost took some wind out of the sails. I mean, it's tough to come back from that. It almost kind of reminded me of the uh, the Chris Holba situation a couple of years ago when they got swept at Houston because the team really couldn't respond from from that situation. So um, it was. I thought they did a good job of battling back after the big deficit, but just not able to overcome it. Yeah, it was one of those things. Like you said, the bats were going twelve hits, seven runs. Um, but you know, coming back out for the top of the ninth. Joey Rezik got his first career at-bat. He had a decent at-bat, worked it to a full count, ended up striking out. But then Seth Cadell hits a single down the left field line, and that's after Makarevich's home run, like you said, in the eighth. Then you start to think, you know, maybe they're going to come back and maybe sneak into this thing again. But, you know, then Francisco grinded into the double play to end the game. But, yeah, I, d- I didn't think they gave up, I think – we really struggled to really see the pitching staff well for Georgia Southern later in the game as they got into the bullpen. But it was just one of those games. It was tough, and the bats were good. They just weren't quite good enough. The pitching was not great. But, again, it happens. But they fought back a little bit, and we've definitely seen worse losses in our days. So I think we'll be okay. That's for sure. Um, so that set up a, uh, that set up a big, a big rubber match on Sunday. And, uh, before we break that down, let's, uh, hit a quick break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back on the other side. You're listening to the hoist the colors podcast. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we are back on the Hoisted Colors podcast. And again, 1-1 in the series going into Sunday's game. Uh, I think, you know, this was a, a big game. And, and we were texting before the game, Jonathan, which I'll get to my prediction in a minute, which I can't quit bragging about. But uh, <laughs> I think we both agreed that with the state of the pitching staff and how many guys were used, you know, neither pitcher, starting pitcher for EC went past the fifth inning in Tyler Smith and Jake Kuchmaner. So the bullpen was pretty depleted. We we both thought that Carson Wisnott had to have a good outing. You know, we were like, you know, go five, six innings, you know, maybe a couple runs. EC would be in good shape. Uh, he pitches into the seventh. He, gets, he gives up four hits, strikes out 11. His only walk of the day was the final batter he faced, which the guy had a great at bat. You tip your cat. But, man, just an absolutely dominant performance. He throws 95 pitches. ECU wins 9-2 to take the series. But this game, for me, was all about Carson Wisenhunt. Yeah, I mean, I didn't quite know what to expect coming into today. Just since, you know, against Rhode Island in his first career start, he was so dominant. Ten strikeouts, four innings, and he shut him down. But then, like you said, today he works into the seventh inning, and he's – even more dominant than he was last weekend. 11 strikeouts, and then he only gave up four hits. And like you said, the only walk came with his, with the last batter that he faced. And even then, you know, he slipped a little bit, you know, looked like he may have tweaked something a little bit, but he finished the at-bat out. Ended up being, I think, a 9-10 pitch at-bat. But, man, he was dominating. And I'm just going to say it, Carson Wissenhunt is good enough to be pitching on Friday nights right now. And I think the longer he pitches like this, the harder it's going to be to keep him from a role like that. Although I don't know, you know, do you make that switch mid year, but man, he's been so impressive. He just pure domination. That's really all there is to say. And to go six and two thirds and give the bullpen a little bit of a breather 
for the first half of this game, first two thirds of this game was really important. I think obviously the reason we won, because I think if he goes five innings and you bring in the bullpen again in the inning earlier, I think this might be a different ball game. Yeah, and it's just uh, you kind of watch it, what he's doing in, in amazement. And again, it's only two starts, and let's be clear, you know, he's not going to go out there and strike out double digit guys every week. So you know, but for him to do it in his first two starts, and this be the first time ECU has had a pitcher do it in back to back outing since 1998, speaks to what he's done. And again, first two starts. I mean, uh, at, at some point, teams are going to get the scouting report. They're going to adjust to him. And he's going to have to make some adjustments. So we all we all know that. But you're talking about a lefty who's up to 95. The, the changeup is filthy. The breaking ball is filthy. I mean, he's got three legitimate pitches he can throw for strikes. And at this point, he's not showing that he's scared of the moment, even when teams uh, put some pressure on him. You know, they tried the, uh, you know, the bunt situation. I think they're going to have to figure that out because he does fall off the mound, and uh, he is vulnerable maybe to the push bunt against left-handed hitters. So that's something they're going to have to work on. But just, man, the pure stuff, it is Friday night caliber. It's just a matter of does the coaching staff want to put him in that situation sooner rather than later. I do want to talk about that. We're going to talk about Gavin Williams here in a little bit too. Um, Jonathan, first let's touch on the offensive side of the ball. Three home runs today. Connor Norby hitting in the leadoff spot. I thought, you know, really set the tone because we talked about the Hoover incident. I thought it was important ECU started the game off on the right foot. He's batting in the leadoff spot to move world to the two-hole, and he goes yard on the game's first at bat. I thought that was a big a big uh, momentum shifter to start the start the start the game yeah i think we texted a little bit before the game and we said when the lineup came out you know i really like Commodore being the leadoff spot i think he's getting on base his i mean he's hitting 515 right now through the first seven games that's that's really impressive so i think he's kind of a perfect fit to be in that leadoff role he's going to get on base he works the count he draws some walks every once in a while he can run I think he's a perfect candidate to be there, especially since Bryson Worrell really hasn't hit that well this year so far. So maybe, you know, putting Norby up there, dropping more to the two hole, take a little pressure off him. But yeah, like you said, it really set the tone, you know, first inning, and then it'd be the first of three home runs. You know, Zach Agnos came with his first career home run in the fourth. And then I believe, yeah, Seth Cadell hit the three run shot in the ninth to really blow the game open. So it's nice to see the power kind of breaking through and especially doing so in a little bit of a different look with the lineup today. You know, Josh Moylan was hitting up to the three hole today, which is I think well-deserved with the week he's had. So switching it around a little bit. I, I like it. I like Norby in the leadoff pole and the offense was really impressive really all weekend, but especially so today. Yeah, double-digit hits for ECU in every single game this week, which is uh, pretty impressive. And I still feel like ECU hasn't hit its stride offensively. Um, so we got to talk about Zach Agnos. Fourth inning, Zach comes up with his first career home run, a two-run shot that made it 3 nothing. And uh, we were texting before the game, Jonathan. And, you know, I was thinking, I, I, I just have a good feeling about this Zach Agnos kid. I, I Yesterday, he almost hit his home run off the opposite field wall. You know, clear the wind is seemingly blowing out there, but you got to have some pop to go opposite field, nearly home run to uh, to right center. So I'm like, he's clearly seeing the ball good. 
He's been close. Uh, you know, they're starting a lefty. This is it. This is when Zach Agnos hits his first career home run. So I sent it to you in a text before the game. Sure enough, first career home run, Zach Agnos dead center field. And uh, I definitely marked out. I was hype. I was hyped for Zach, but I was more hyped for myself. I'm going to be selfish, and I'm going to brag. Um, you called the Bryson World home run, and I, I thought this might be his game as well. I was really hopeful we get both predictions right, but it was uh, it was my time to shine today. Yours will come in time. Yeah, you know, I would have done the same thing if I was in your shoes. I'd be bragging all about it on Twitter and on the boards, just like you have been. But – yeah, you know, I went a little bold with the Bryson Worrell homer. Like I said, he hasn't been really hitting the ball well, but I figured going to get to lefty pitcher, I think he's got a little more pop from the right side of the plate. So, you know, I said, you know, if I was going to make a bold prediction, I'm going to make a bold prediction. I don't want to let him one-up me, and I think you did a little more than one-up me today. So we'll keep him going. I'll get one right one of these days. Yeah, I mean, I'm really torn now. Do I do I go ahead and shut it down and never make another bold prediction, or do I try this every single game? Because I feel like I'm never going to be able to top that. I don't I don't know what to do. But I, well, let me. If I can, I made a bold prediction every football game this year. If I can keep pushing through what was, I'll call a brutal stretch for myself during that. I think you can push through after a victory. Okay. We'll we'll do that. We'll try to come up with a bold prediction, at least every few games, if not every game. Um, but yeah, that was that was cool. That was cool. So, and I'm happy for Zach uh, to to get that one off his shoulders. Uh, first college home run. Uh, ECU wins it nine to two. All right, you mentioned Bryson. We'll go ahead and touch on that here. Um, clearly struggling early in the season. Again, seven games. Not going to overreact. Just like in my opinion, I didn't want to overreact to last year's. 17 game sample size you know I know Bryson's a really talented hitter you know he probably wasn't as dominant as he showed last year in that stretch he's not as bad as he's showing right now he's probably somewhere in the middle and I think he's always been a streaky hitter you know he's he's got some swing and miss to his game I thought open a weekend he hit the ball fine he just didn't have much to show for it this weekend he struggled seeing the ball um but I'm not too concerned yet you know, maybe you move him around in the batting order a little bit, try to take some pressure off his shoulders. But, you know, it's two weekends, seven games. Bryson will get hot, and then when he gets hot, the home runs and the, the hits will come in bunches. So, you know, a lot of people, not freaking out, but I guess concerned at this point. It's just, I think, while Connor Norby is starting the year off hot, you know, Bryson, unfortunately, is just starting it off cold, and, and that's baseball. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Bryson was so good last year. It was the expectations he had coming into this year, it was impossible for him to come anywhere close to, I think, living up to the expectations that some people put on him. But, and you got to think this year, I mean, I believe he's hitting a leadoff spot every game except for today. That's something new to him. He hasn't maybe a couple games in the past, but it's something that he's also adjusting to. That's something, in my opinion, that's completely different. The difference between hitting leadoff and then hitting middle of the order like he did last year it's a completely different mindset, and maybe he just hasn't adjusted well to it, but you think the first weekend with the freezing cold temperatures against Rhode Island, Bryson hit three or four balls that went deep into the outfield to the warning track that if it was a weekend like this, they're they're out of there. So 
I think if you have a little bit warmer weather opening weekend, we're having a completely different conversation about Bryson Wall right now. So, like you said, I'm not really worried. Baseball's a tough game. Bryson's been a streaky hitter before. I think it's going to even out a little bit. Like you said, he's not going to be as dominant as he was last year. I don't think he's going to be, you know, one of the home run leaders on the team this year, in my opinion. But I think he will creep back up there and have a respectable batting average in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think once he gets it going, he'll be fine. He just needs a little bit of confidence, you know, a couple bad games, whatnot. And, again, he will bounce back. I'm sure they've got some stuff to work on uh, with his hitting approach. But Cliff Godwin's one of the best hitting coaches around. They'll figure it out. All right, next topic, Gavin Williams. He makes his season debut, Jonathan, out of the bullpen in the eighth inning. Throws 24 pitches, so got a good amount of work. You know, just a casual 97 and 99 miles an hour in his return from injury. No big deal. And see, the problem with listening to these Georgia Southern announcers is these guys have no concept of what's going on. They're just like, oh, Gavin Williams is on. He only threw two appearances last year. They have no idea he's returning from injury, that he should be like a borderline first, second round MLB pick. And they're like, wow, he just threw 99 miles an hour. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, good to see, again, you know, he walked the guy, hit a guy with a 99 mile an hour fastball off the shin, by the way, which has to hurt. But uh, I thought looked healthy, you know. Sure, there was some rust, but I mean, if he's throwing 98, 99, clearly he's feeling pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the announcers. I mean, when they came in, they said one of the best relievers for this East Carolina team. Um, you know, that's that's all I'm going to say about that. But like you said, he looked healthy. I mean, struggled a little bit with command. I think had a little bit of rust to shake off, but three strikeouts throwing 99 consistently. That's pretty impressive. And I think it's funny. I did notice when I covered the Rhode Island game on Sunday, Cliff Godwin mentioned it during his, I believe the post game against Duke, but he was talking about how Gavin was long tossing from very far distance with Cooch Manor on Sunday in warmups. I saw him warming up. He was throwing from the left field line and he was throwing it easy to the warning track and right center field. And he was doing it with ease. And he looks healthy. So if he can shake off a little bit of the rust, get a little bit of his command back and really start spotting that off-speed ball, I think the I think the off-speed pitch is really what he struggled with today, if anything. You know, he had one that was a little wild, went up and away. But I think it's going to be a process. I don't think he's going to be ready to start soon. So I think it's going to be – you know, kind of work on stretching him out, get his command back and get his confidence back. And I think today was a really good start to going that way. Yeah, definite uh, confidence booster. Good to see him work and 24 pitches, not a, you know, it's a pretty good workload for your first time out uh, in return from injury, at least in game action. So uh, this kind of bridges into our next conversation, Jonathan, before we die, before we give away our, our hitter and uh, pitcher of the week and wrap up the show. So the starting rotation going forward is going to be interesting. And really, you know, we didn't take questions for today's podcast, but I know somebody would ask about it. You know, let's assume Gavin continues to pitch healthy and they want to get him back into the weekend role. How do you go about doing that? I mean, I think the schedule is pretty advantageous for ECU coming up in terms of App State and Charlotte back-to-back weekends. Those are two winnable series. I think you'll have a chance to work Gavin and get his pitch count up 
in a couple of those games, whether it be relief or starter. Um, right now you got Tyler Smith on Friday, Cooch Manor Saturday, Wizen Hunt Sunday. I mean, you can make the argument, again, very early in the season, Wizen Hunt has Friday night stuff, but do you want to put a freshman in that role and put all that pressure on him? Then you got Gavin, who I think they want to make a starter, but you want to keep him healthy. You know, Tyler Smith, he's going to give you four to five innings. He's going to give you a chance to win every time. Cooch Manor's going to probably pitch much better than he did this weekend, more times than not. So I think you got four really good candidates, and even, you know, Carter Spivey, if he pitches like he does, uh, like he can do, I, I think at some point you're going to have to make a tough decision with this starting rotation. Probably not now, but I think in a couple weeks, if Gavin returns to health, you're going to have a, a tough decision to make. Yeah, I think that ECU's in a really good spot once we do hit conference play, you know, four games in three days. So you mentioned four guys. There's four guys. And that's not even mentioning, like you said, Carter Spivey. Obviously, we don't really know if he'll be ready to pitch midweek this week. But, you know, that's five guys right there that if you wanted to, you could probably roll out with confidence on the mound. So I think it's going to be really important to continue kind of stretching him out, Gavin, that is, stretching him out over the next couple of weeks, the next month, I guess, before you hit conference play. And once you get there, I think based on two starts, and you, you can't take Wisenhunt out of the rotation right now. Obviously, there's a whole month left to play before you do hit the conference play. But, yeah, it's going to be an interesting month kind of seeing how it plays out with a surplus of arms, which is a great luxury to have. So yeah, I'll be interested to see how it shakes out. It's almost so you have four series before conference play starts. So basically, like you said, you got a, a month ahead before you have to worry about going to a four-man rotation, at least on the weekend. So it's almost like if you bump somebody out, out of the rotation in the coming weeks, that person could be right back in the rotation for conference play. So how do you want to play that if you're Cliff Godwin and Jason Jason Dietrich? That's you know that's why they get paid a lot of money to make these decisions. You know if it were up to me, I think by the start of conference play, you want either Gavin or Wisenhunt in that Friday first game role if they're healthy and throwing the ball well. You know, I think your top three right now. Again, if everybody's healthy at full capacity, you're probably Gavin Wisenhunt Coochmaner. And then, you know, Smith, I think, is always going to be a guy that gives you four, five, six solid innings and probably deserves to start because of his track record and success. But I think his his repertoire works better maybe later in the weekend than on Friday night, so you don't have to use so much bullpen early. But I think at this point in the season, it's fine that he's there. Um, and maybe he continues to go deeper in the games. But that's just – I think at some point what I'm getting at is they're going to have to reorder the weekend rotation. It's just a matter of when. I think not if. Yeah, hundred percent. It's 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 going to happen. Don't know when, but we do know it will happen. But I kind of agree with you. I think Cooch Maynard is probably better suited for a later weekend role. And obviously, none of us really know how a four game in three days is going to work. I think Godwin has said that the preference is to get that double header in initially on that first Friday get it out of the way that way the rest of the weekend you don't have to worry about a doubleheader so that that's another wrinkle too you know which one of those guys is going to be more comfortable you know sitting around for a game and then getting geared up to pitch 
in a game two of a doubleheader as opposed to starting right out of the gate. So that's something to keep in mind, but there's a lot of factors that go into it and really nobody knows what's going to happen. It all depends on how the next month plays out. So we could have all five guys really pitch lights out for the next month and it's tough, or we could see all five guys struggle and we're having a completely different conversation. So who knows, but I'm excited to see how it plays out. The good thing is ECU has options and it's not like we know that these two guys can start who is going to be our third guy from this pile of trash over here. So, I mean, it's, it's positive that ECU has options. All right, let's wrap up today's show with our hitter and our pitcher of the week. We're going to include the Duke game, Jonathan. And, you know, C.J. Mayhew made a valiant effort. I think if, if he probably posts a shutout weekend, then maybe he gets this award. But you got to give it to Carson Wisenhunt, our pitcher of the week, for the second straight week, I believe. Um Six and two-thirds innings, four hits, one walk, 11 Ks, pure dominance. He did something that no ECU pitcher has done since 1998. He's got to be our pitcher of the week. Yeah, Wissenhunt is 100% the guy, but honorable mention, I'll say to Cam Colmore. Yeah. Like we said, the big outing against Duke, and then came out and got, came and got a big out today to get out of that seventh inning with the runner on first, big strikeout. Close Friday's game? Matt, yeah, in Friday's game, yeah. But And then you think Matt Bridges, too. You know, he had a big outing on Friday, and Nick Logosh had a great great outing on Saturday. So a lot of guys to choose from, but Wisenhunt just came in and took the award, and we had, we had no choice but to give it to him this weekend. You know, I'm going to make up an award on the fly right here. Our two-way player of the week, Matt Bridges, uh, <laughs> two and a third innings pitched. On Friday and the uh, the the insurance RBI single, so we just added an award on the fly. Two A Player of the Week, Matt Bridges. So uh, you can't go wrong there. You know when you mention that, I'm like, we have to have an award for Matt Bridges. We can't <laughs> let him not go unrewarded. Um, all right, our hitter of the week. This was a tough one, Jonathan. We discussed this one before the show. Connor Norby goes eight for seventeen this week. Six runs, two RBIs, a homer, two doubles. Josh Moreland, though, he goes 7 for 14, 6 RBIs, 2 homers, 3 doubles, 3 runs scored. I feel like Josh Moreland deserves it due to the RBIs. We also gave the award to Connor Norby last week, which speaks to his level of consistency early in the season. But I think Josh Moreland is our winner of the hitter of the week. 100%. I think, like we said, we went back and forth between Moreland and Norby a little bit. Norby had a great weekend, had a great day today, but... Moylan as a true freshman, I mean, for him to be moved from, you know, a six, seven spot in the lineup to the three hole on a Sunday in a rubber match Sunday game that you really need to win. That says a lot about, you know, how he's swinging the bat. It started against Duke and it carried over into the weekend. So I'm really glad to see Moylan doing that. A couple other guys, you know, had good weekends, but nobody was quite on that level as Moylan and Norby. Yeah, for sure. And our, our co-rookies of the week, big surprise, we're giving it to Carson Wisenhunt and Josh Moylan. Again, this is an award that can be given out to either a first-year freshman uh, or a second-year freshman. Uh, so a true freshman or a second-year freshman. Both those guys were just incredible. You know, some honorable mentions. Zach Agnos, again, his first career home run, predicted by yours truly, uh, had a good week. 
Um, also, you know, Danny Beal, I thought, got some big outs, especially in that Friday night game. So there were a, a lot of young players that stepped up and, and played well. But I think you got you got to give them the co-rookies of the week since they were the best rookies on the team. Yeah, I mean, there's really no other options. You mentioned a couple of good, those guys. Zach Agnos, I think, is probably my top honorable mention. You know, he's looked good. He hasn't really made a lot of solid contact before this weekend. But he came in today and yesterday, I believe, and had a couple of really hard-hit balls, had the homer today. I believe had a big double yesterday. So it's nice to see him bringing, you know, his offensive game kind of rounding it out a little bit. And, man, for Moreland and Wisdom Hunt, the sky's the limit for them, too. They have a lot of potential, and we're only seeing the beginning for them. So I'm excited to see where they can go from here. ECU 6-1 and one after seven games. They will host Old Dominion on Wednesday at 4 p.m. And then Appalachian State in the Keith LeClaire Classic this coming weekend as they look to uh, improve their record with four home games. So we'll have coverage of that. Uh, we'll also have uh, previews of those games as well. We might have a podcast later this week as we're finally getting back to basketball at some point, hopefully Thursday night. 9 p.m. tip-off, yay. Uh, but at least it's <laughs> basketball. Jonathan, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Again, glad we're talking about a series win, and I'm excited to have a – Thursday night after dark inside Minji's Coliseum. Yeah. Hey, I've heard 600 to 800 students will be invited, so hopefully they all show up, make it a pretty good atmosphere. Maybe we'll talk some hoops later this week. It's been about a month with the pause, but uh, it's fun recapping ECU baseball. They continue to win. They're 6-1 to start the 2021 season. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast with Stephen Igo and Jonathan Wagner. We'll be back with you in the coming days. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.